Hey guys, I'm so grateful to have you as a viewer today. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. We are here to bring you the best personal development content that you can find out there. Here at the Swan Podcast, our main intention is to educate you, empower you, and evolve your life. So if you love all things personal development and transformation, then this is the place for you. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Swan Podcast. And today I'm very, very, very excited to have on a special guest, Miss Jeannie Tyler. She's going to be talking to us today about anxiety. And just to give you a little bit of her background, Ms. Tyler is a licensed psychotherapist. She specializes in a lot of a lot of areas, especially working with children and adults. She is a cognitive behavioral therapist, which is my favorite type of therapy. And she has 17 years of experience. She went to Spelman and she specializes in so many things. So welcome, Jeannie. Before I ramble on more and more, welcome to the show. And thank you, thank you so much for being on here with us today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I wanted to go into a little bit about you. But before I do, I just want to say that we're recording on Juneteenth, which is super, super awesome. This year, Juneteenth is getting a lot of attention, obviously, because of the current racial climate. But I just wanted to say, in connection to having you on the show, how excited I was to have you because you guys don't see, we do an extensive amount of research and vetting for our guests. And prior to George Floyd and everything going on, we have been looking in groups and on social media for people that we felt were awesome, amazing Black women, which I'm happy about because now people are scurrying to find Black women or Black people to talk about topics and to come on shows. So I was very proud. I may have not mentioned this to you, but you were one of the many professionals that I talked to, even in the week that I talked to, that had the most experience out of everyone. And I was blown away and thoroughly impressed. Spellman graduate. Originally from the Bay Area. So can you tell us a little bit about you, your background, and why you got into the field? Absolutely. Yes. And it's a pleasure to be here on Juneteenth. I was thinking about that this morning because there is so many kind of concerns going on in our society today related to being Black, being, you know, a minority in this country. And with that, you know, it comes a lot of different challenges. So to answer your question, I think I first got interested in psychology when I took a class in high school. And I just remember being so intrigued. I thought it was fascinating just to learn about behavior, mental processes, why people do what they do, how social constructs can influence mental health. And I just knew at that time that I wanted to pursue a career in the helping profession. It wasn't till after college when I worked a little bit and went on to grad school that I really solidified that I wanted to be a therapist. So that came a little later, but I knew kind of early on that psychology, social work, helping people was really my calling. So I do, I do see it that way. I see it as part of my purpose that, you know, I think certain traits that I have naturally just kind of fit my field. You know, I'm more laid back, more of a listener. So just naturally, I just felt this inclination to to help people in this way. And I just, again, see it as an honor. 
Yeah, and I will tell you, so one of our key qualifications to coming on the podcast is the, the person's demeanor and how they talk. And like you said, you are laid back. One conversation in, I was like, I got to have her on the show. <laughs> because when we're talking about topics like this, we want people to feel calm and relaxed and non-judged and everything, you know, when it comes to these sensitive topics that we really go deep on. I mean, there's going to be somebody listening to this that is experiencing the very thing that we're talking about. And I know my therapist told me once, she said that the way to stop feeling anxious is to stop thinking about having anxiety. And a lot of times, many of us, this is on our mind a lot. So it's very important that it be your calling, I think. Because if it's not for you and you don't have the personality for it, it's just it's just not going to work. So I'm, I'm very happy that you even understand that component of it, that you're a good fit. You're even, you were a good fit to even just have a conversation on the topic. And don't get me wrong, you know, there's people that are passionate about it and they bring a different energy. Mm-hmm. But I know just for myself, it helps when someone has that kind of laid back personality. So my next question is going to be about anxiety. I know you have 17 years of experience, so I want for us to just kind of start from the very, very beginning and give your version of a definition of what is anxiety. Okay. Yeah, so anxiety is basically a feeling or a state of uneasiness, worry, nervousness, tension, which can happen out of the blue, or it can be triggered by by something or triggered by an event with an uncertain outcome. So I often explain to to people that anxiety kind of has three components to it. So there's the physical aspect of it where our, our natural kind of fight, flight, freeze response kind of is activated and that's triggered by stress hormones. There's the cognitive aspect where our thoughts are kind of more focused on danger or some sort of catastrophe happening and also behavior. So that's the third component. So the hallmark of anxiety behavior wise is avoidance. Mm -hmm. So if you're scared of something, then you're going to avoid that thing (laughs) like the plague. So, you know, if somebody is scared of heights, they're likely not going to, you know, go on a mountain somewhere or be maybe hesitant to get on the airplane. They'll avoid that because nobody wants to feel that uneasiness. But with treatment, and we'll talk about this later, one of the main ways to deal with that behavioral side is to confront that that feared stimulus, if you will. And it takes time to get to that point, but that that is one of the goals for a lot of people to be able to confront that that fear and be able to kind of move through that just so their anxiety level is, is lowered whenever they do have to experience something like that. Right. So your your definition just gave me 3,000 questions <laughs> from that definition. But I wanted to start with the first thing you said about a stress hormone, because I think that's something, my background is in personal training, and that's something that people struggle with a lot, especially when it's related to their physical health. And can you say that this is biological? Because you did say that it could be not from an actual event. And on previous episodes, we've talked about trauma, we talked about PTSD, we talked about those events. But coming from a hormonal Point where someone is experiencing anxiety, but they don't really know where it's coming from. What is the cause of that? Is that genetic? Is that something 
that is, is it coming from our foods? Where is that coming from? Yeah, so it's likely a combination of factors. We know that with anxiety, there is a genetic component. So one of the questions that I ask my clients during an assessment is, does anxiety run in your family? You know, is there anybody that you know of that might have, you know, experienced something similar? And nine times out of 10, I'm getting a yes response. Yes, my mom, my grandma, my auntie, you know, somebody in the family, you know, has had some sort of anxiety. So yes, we do know that there's a genetic link, their hormones, you know, cortisol, there, you know, some people just have a higher level that, that's released. There's also, you know, the environment or psychological factors that could trigger, you know, just want to be more anxious and, and hyper aroused. And we see that a lot with trauma. So yes, I would say it's likely a combination of factors. I have met with people that say, I don't have any sort of really stress in my life, you know, things are good, but I'm always anxious. Mm -hmm. So those are the folks that are probably predisposed to, to anxiety just from a biological standpoint. Right. And I think I can personally relate to that in my life, but also because I have anxiety in my family, but also there's a, there's another component to that where you don't know surface or consciously that you do have an event or something that's making you stress and you think that you don't. I noticed that, and I don't know if you, you can give your opinion on, the person may have that awareness, but there may be something underneath going on that they may not be, it could be subconscious, that they, they don't know that it is a stressor and they think that, I don't, I don't see anything that would be causing this anxiety, but, but there could really be something that they're just not aware of. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yes, a lot of things are kind of pushed back just for self-preservation, which, you know, something might've happened and it's kind of suppressed, repressed, whatever term you want to use for that. And it's not kind of on the forefront of, of consciousness, but it's there, you know? So yeah, I, I do see some of that as well. So when someone comes to your office, which we'll talk about people actually getting to therapy, but, but when someone does decide that they want to go to therapy and they come into your office and you notice some symptoms that they're having, what, what are common symptoms of people that have anxiety? What are they dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, so I actually see a lot of excessive worry, um, ruminations, racing thoughts, you know, a lot of sleep difficulties because of the racing thoughts. Mm -hmm. So I talk to people that want to go to sleep at a certain time, but feel like they can't because there's so much kind of on their minds. So that's a very, very common symptom. Lack of concentration. So not being able to get schoolwork done, work for their job done. Mm -hmm. You know, it might interfere with relationships. You know, there's uh, panic attacks, you know, panicky type of symptoms that people talk about. So the shortness of breath rapid heartbeat, uh, feeling hot, feeling like they're going to faint, a lot of upset stomach. So, and that's an interesting one because a lot of, you know, the people I talk to say, you know, I just have this, this uneasy kind of feeling in my stomach. And I do often recommend, well, let's rule out any type of medical explanation. So they will talk to their primary care physicians. If that comes back, okay, then we, we talk about anxiety and how that might be stored in the gut and kind of how to do relaxation techniques to kind of help eliminate some of that. Some other symptoms I see are, are muscle tension, irritability, and I'll say something about irritability and anger. A lot of times, especially with teens, they're, they're presenting as just being angry. You know, mm -hmm. they're getting in trouble at school. There's issues with home and following the rules. And so a lot of times 
they're labeled as oppositional or, you know, they just don't want to listen. But the more that I talk to some of these kids, they're really anxious. Mm-hmm. And they're getting upset because they don't know how to manage it. They just know they don't feel good. They just know that this, you know, this is un- uncomfortable. And it's just manifesting in that irritability or anger type of way. Right. Yeah. I see that with my, I have a 14 year old and I see that with my son and I didn't know, which we talk a lot. And he told me he was anxious about, so Corona made him anxious. Mm-hmm. And he told me he was anxious about finishing and getting the grade that he thought that he would have gotten if he was in school because we've been, he's been working from a laptop. So when he found out, which he didn't share with me, I would, I was asking him. And like you said, it was the same symptoms. And then he finally said, oh my God, I feel so much better because I tell him to write stuff out. And he said, I wrote out a plan and I'm going to finish my work. And then he said, oh, I didn't tell you, mom, I was feeling very very anxious about my grades when he found out he was culminating he was like I feel so much more relaxed and we don't really you know we don't really and with my mom having anxiety and it running in our family you know I could easily look and say there's nothing stressful going on here you know my house is nice and relaxed but that was giving him giving him anxiety and we talked about that with trauma too because on our trauma episode we talked about how trauma can be one thing for someone else and something totally different, something you'd look at as small and another person would look at as totally stressful for Absolutely. them. Yeah. And I think it does come out in other ways, like being irritable. I'm happy you mentioned the stomach stuff too, because uh, a lump in the throat or, you know, just talking to my mom where she'd say she was feeling a shortness of breath. We never had a connection to that being anxiety. We never did. I mean, we probably, we named everything. Oh, it must've been what I ate. Yeah. We never looked at it as yeah. from being anxious. It's, right. it's very, very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, you know, the whole mind-body connection. I think mm-hmm. everything is kind of interrelated. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know. And I have seen this with some of my, my male clients that they may not actively express, hey, I'm feeling anxious, but mm-hmm. they say, well, I get headaches a lot. Or, you know, again, my stomach hurts or I just feel kind of tense. So a lot of times I hear the physical symptoms, but I know that there's probably what they're describing as as anxiety. Right. Something else under there. So this is a good segue for us to kind of go over to males. We talk about stuff with women so much and we talk from our own perspective. But with your experience, I notice even through dating, I dated guys that I didn't want to diagnose them, but I, <laughs> I was like, this dude is anxious. And it's usually, it's usually a money thing. To be completely honest, it's usually a money thing. And it's usually another thing I'll see is drinking. You know, that'll be one of the bigger, like red flags, I'll call it. Mm-hmm. So what is the difference when men actually come to your office? What difference do you see other than the physical Compared to women, because I think we are a little bit more in tune with our emotions, Mm -hmm. know when we're feeling off, and also willing to admit when we're feeling off. So what happens when the guys come in? Yeah, so it it varies. I'll I'll just say, generally speaking, you know, there sometimes is shame, you know, for even coming to therapy, Mm -hmm. that, you know, I'm a man, I I should be able to kind of handle what's going on. You know, I'm the provider in my house. You know, why do I need to go seek help from somebody? So sometimes there is some shame. And we talk about that. So I may ask a question like, 
well, what, what did you learn growing up about therapy? You're going to talk to a therapist. You know, what were some of the messages that, that you were told? And so sometimes I hear things like, well, therapy isn't something that men seek. You know, we should be able to handle our own stuff. And we just kind of talk about that and, and work through it. And I will say nine times out of 10, you know, we are able to get to the next step of, of digging deeper and addressing whatever the concerns are. But we do have to kind of start with where they are and, and what they bring in. And if it's, hey, I don't know why I'm here. This is weird. You know, yeah. what's up? <laughs> we'll talk about it. So, right. so yeah. Yeah, because a lot of it is actually being honest. I know I went to therapy for probably a year before I realized that I wasn't being 100% honest with my therapist, not on purpose, but just there were parts that had shame that I wasn't comfortable. I don't know why I thought my therapist would judge me, but that, I, I mean, just, that's just a worry, but I, I, it took me to understand like, wait, this person is a professional. This is what she does. She is not going home eating her dinner, thinking about, you know, me, but that goes along with worry. So I wanted to talk about how to know when to go to therapy. And I've talked to other guests about this and somebody's going to be listening, going, okay, well, a little anxiety every now and then is normal. Or, you know, I was anxious when I was in college or I am anxious when I have a stressful situation going on in my life. But how do you know? I know when I knew that I needed to go to therapy, but how does one know kind of if you can give any type of rubric of this is when you need to go to therapy. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up as far as anxiety being normal. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely normal. And I often explain to to people that if you're alive, you will be anxious at some point in your life. We all have it and we all need it. So when somebody comes in and says, I just want to get rid of anxiety, I say, well, you don't want to get rid of it because you need that in case you were in a real dangerous situation. So if you're being chased by a bear, then you would need that fight, flight, or freeze response to kick (laughs) in, which is automatic, an automatic mechanism that we all have. You need that. It's just, we kind of have to learn how to differentiate between perceived threat and actual threat. Right. So when it's recommended for somebody to seek professional help is when the anxiety is just unmanageable or when it's felt in disproportionate levels or when it interferes with daily life. So if it interferes with work, with school, with relationships, with sleep, and just your daily activities, that's when it would be time to to seek help from a mental mental health professional. Yeah. And you know, another thing I noticed also through my own journey is that there were many times where I was experiencing anxiety, but it was coming from something in my life that I wasn't really willing to to confront, like you said. So it could be, I mean, it could have been a job that I was not happy at. Mm -hmm. So usually, how do you guide people through just making steps in their lives? I know you talked about it's a slow process to get them maybe to face a fear or to just even sometimes have a voice or whatever it is that's bothering them that they're tucking away and is showing up as anxiety. How do you kind of walk clients through that so that they can be calm and be more of themselves. I think that's a big part of it too. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I use a a lot of different therapeutic models, you know, CBT being probably my number one go-to and it's the number one treatment for anxiety related concerns. And so I often start off with focusing on the physical manifestations of those are some symptoms that the clients come in with. So, okay, let's learn how to relax. 
you know, mm-hmm. it's in, re- relaxation is incompatible with anxiety. So we want to try to make sure that we know how to relax. So I spent a lot of time teaching skills like deep breathing techniques. We'll talk about meditation and mindfulness. And mindfulness is really good for anxiety because it's, it's more of a way of being as opposed to like a, a technique. And what it is, you're just bringing your attention to the present. Mm-hmm. as opposed to thinking about all the what-ifs that may happen in the future. So an example of mindfulness might be, okay, I'm going to go for a, a mindful walk and, and notice how the air feels on my skin, how the sun feels. I'm going to notice greenery. I'm going to notice any sounds that I may hear. So it's very sensory focused. Mm-hmm. And again, it just kind of brings awareness to the present. So there's different mindfulness meditations that, that are helpful there's a technique I like called progressive muscle relaxation, mm-hmm. where one is tensing different parts of their body for a few seconds and then releasing. So noticing the difference between tension and relaxation and kind of being mindful about that. So we spend some time doing that and then we'll go into some of the cognitive work. Mm-hmm. So what are, what are some of the thinking habits that might be contributing to this level of anxiety? So it could be catastrophic thinking, this bad thing is going to happen, mm-hmm. you know? And so I challenge that and I'll say something like, well, we don't know if it's going to happen. We could talk about likelihood and we could talk about if this thing were to happen, how you can manage it, you know? And so from a cognitive aspect, there are a couple of biases involved. So one is thinking that this bad, awful thing, this worst case scenario will happen. Mm -hmm. And then the second bias is if this thing happens, I won't be able to cope. So we really spent a lot of time challenging those two kind of thinking patterns. And then the behavior side, like I mentioned earlier, if, if someone is wanting to get over a particular fear, then we'll go through, you know, steps to kind of confront that fear. And it's very gradual. We call it desensitization, you Mm -hmm. know, where each step towards that, that feared stimulus, we we look at different steps that we could kind of rate anxiety, you know, and see if it's lower before we come to the next step, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's very, very graded, you know, I'm not going to tell somebody who has a fear of flying to go on a flight tomorrow with no tools. (laughs) We kind of work up to that. Yeah. So you, a couple of questions stemmed for me. The first one I want, wanted to go back to was the mindfulness. So let's, let's give like a real world example of, you know, someone is getting anxious. And I know what that kind of snowballs into is like the what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. How does one get ahead of that? Or I don't want to say prevent it from happening because, you know, when it happens, you're in it, right? So right. how do you... How do you kind of walk yourself back from that? You know, if you're in it, because that, what I notice is if it starts, it kind of snowballs. And then before you know it, you're anxious. And now you're trying to back back off of that cliff of bringing yourself back to calmness. So when you start to feel that way, how do you kind of interject and just cut it and divert to even become present in your body? Yeah, so... I will say this, it can snowball, but it doesn't have to. It takes a lot of practice, a lot of repetition. And so what I often explain is that we can't stop a thought from coming. That thought may come. So we're not responsible for the initial thought, but we are responsible for the second, third, fourth thought. You know, so what can we tell ourselves that may create a different feeling for us if that thought is, oh my God, what if? 
Right. So if you're in the moment, you're noticing that, I often recommend, okay, well, pay attention to your breathing. You know, try to focus on taking some deep breaths. And there's a couple of techniques that I teach about that. And then once that thought happens, you know, how can we challenge it? You know, what, what is something else that you can kind of, kind of talk back to it with? So a lot of times, especially with, with my younger clients, we talk about externalizing the anxiety. So if anxiety had a name, what would you name it? Oh, Joe or Sally. Okay, so if Sally shows up and says, this God awful thing is going to happen, what can you say to Sally that might help you be in control a little bit? Mm-hmm. So it, it just takes a lot, of, a lot of practice, but I've seen a lot of people get there and do very well. I like that. I like that example. So I hope somebody, hope somebody uses that tip because that was a really good tip to kind of give it a label, you know, because I notice even with a lot of people that I know personally that do have anxiety, they claim it so much, you know, and they kind of cling to it and identify with it so much that they're not coming outside of it saying, hey, that's just a thought that came up and that's not who I am. That's not, that doesn't define me. You know, you'll say like my anxiety or today this, or, well, you know, my anxiety. And it ends up being kind of like a clutch or something to lean on and rely on. So that be, not saying everyone is doing that, but that being said, I had mentioned to you before we came on air that I wanted to get a little bit into the discussion of prescription drugs and medications to treat anxiety. And I know I have been doing cognitive behavioral therapy for about four years now. I've seen astronomical results from CBT. So I'm the CBT queen. But I know people that say, hey, I take medication and I just do fine. So how do you feel about that? When does a person know what's right for them? We know that a lot of people question the decisions that they make and you know, just need feedback from other people to know, hey, how do I know if I'm handling this effectively with what I'm doing or if it's time to actually seek more? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And so some people come in already having been taking some sort of medication, Mm -hmm. usually like an, an SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, which helps long term with kind of easing anxiety from a biological standpoint. So some people are already taking some of those. Other people take the class of drug benzodiazepines, which are really for severe kind of panic, just to kind of help lower some of that. Those are pretty, how how can I, well, those can sometimes have an addictive property to it. Mm-hmm. And so I do see a lot of people that are hesitant, but if their doctor's recommending it, then, you know, they, they follow that plan. And I also get people that come in and say, you know, I know I have this, these physical symptoms, but I don't want to take a medication. And I say, well, that's perfectly fine. You know, we can, we can do therapy. We can kind of see how things go. And what we know from the research is that CBT has the same effects as a medication for anxiety or depression. It just may take a little longer to see the effects, but we can get there. So a lot of times it's just a personal decision. There are times where I've been working with a client for an extended amount of time and the therapy is just not, you know, have, making the progress that they would prefer. So at that point, I may suggest, well, why don't you talk to your doctor and see if maybe a low dose of a medication might be helpful? 
you know, sometimes they come back and say, yes, I started something. And I think the combined approach, medication and therapy is really what, what's needed. Right. And I like what you said earlier, just to backtrack about ruling out other medical things. So some of the symptoms that you named could be symptoms of other things too. So I think it's important that people go to the doctor because you don't know what is actually causing maybe your stomach aches, maybe whatever it is that you're having physically manifesting your body. So I like the tip about going to your doctor first. And I think that they, therapy is always good because you might even be anxious about going to your doctor. So, you know, there's, there's a, a component to where therapy fits in well with everything else, but still, you still want to go to see a doctor. So just to kind of wrap things up a little bit, do you have any resources or, you know, sources that people can go to? I know it's Corona and I see a lot of people say, oh, well, offices are closed or, you know, they're, and I know people are doing telehealth and able to do, like we're doing virtual sessions, but what are some resources that people can actually utilize, even books or anything that you can share with some of our listeners? Sure. So I have a number of books that I, that I recommend to clients. So I'll just tell you some of those. One that I really like is called Anxiety Gone, The Three mm. C's of Anxiety Recovery by Stanley Hibbs. Okay. And he talks about, well, the three C's are calming the body, correcting your thinking, and confronting your fears. So kind mm-hmm. of the three aspects that we've talked about today. And I'm always mindful about books that I recommend to clients with anxiety because I don't want it to be stressful. Mm-hmm. I want it to be easy, kind of straightforward, something they can kind of get through without feeling overwhelmed by the reading. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good one. I like 30-minute therapy for anxiety, everything you need to know in the least amount of time by Matthew McKay and Troy Dufresne. It doesn't replace therapy, so the title may be a little misleading, but it's (laughs) just a good supplement. Another good one, Stress Reduction for Busy People, Finding Peace in an Anxious World by Mm. Don Groves. I like that title alone. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) For my teenage clients, My Anxious Mind, A Teen's Guide to Managing Anxiety and Panic by Michael Tompkins and Catherine Martinez. I like that. And The Gifts of Imperfection, Let Go of Who You Think You're Supposed to Be and Embrace Who You Are by Brene Brown, one of my favorites. You're like the third person to mention Brene Brown on the show. She's been referenced several times. Oh, yeah. She's she's awesome. For people that want to get more into mindfulness, I like Mindfulness Meditations for Anxiety by Michael Smith. And then there's Real World Mindfulness for Beginners, How to Navigate Daily Life One Practice at a Time by Brenda Salgado. And for my my sisters out there, like myself, who often are dealing with the myth of the superwoman, Mm -hmm. I like (laughs) Soothe Your Nerves, The Black Woman's Guide to Understanding and Overcoming Anxiety, Panic, and Fear by Angela Neal Barnett. So yeah, those are just a few of my- You dropped some jewels. People, my favorites. <laughs> those are, listen, I'm, I'm about to hang up and get right on Amazon. <laughs> those were all, all good. I have a teenager and I have an 11 year old, so I'll definitely get the teen one for yeah. sure for myself. And you gave some really, really, really good information today. I hope that everybody can utilize some of these tips and just to reinforce that we're not trying to- diagnose or anything, it's always best to go seek professional help and 
and, you know, get that experience on your own. I know for myself, I knew when I was like, okay, let me check what my insurance covers and see what, if I can go get a session, because I always say it doesn't hurt, you know, to go talk to a therapist. I don't think that me and my friends were joking. We were saying, I don't think there's a therapist in the world that's going to turn you around (laughs) and be like, Hey, you don't need to be here. Why are you, you know, why are you here? So just going or even making a phone call won't hurt. And I want to pass the floor to you so that you can, I know you're in Atlanta, but you can let us know how to find you, your website, your office, everything. Give us your info. How can we find you? Sure. So I am in Atlanta. My office is about 40 minutes east of downtown Atlanta in Conyers. And my website is just my name is J-I-N-I-T-Y-L-E-R.com, JeannieTyler.com. My email address is therapy at JeannieTyler.com. And you can find me on social media at Tyler Therapy. And I also offer telehealth options. So if a client is an hour away and they call up and say, hey, you know, I want to schedule something, we can certainly look at, at that option. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So I just want to give you a huge thank you for coming on today, giving us a little bit of your knowledge and your time. We, just from me and my team and all our listeners, we really, really appreciate having you. I see people in all the time on social media saying, how do I find a black therapist? How do I find somebody that I can relate to? So here you go, guys, especially if you're in Atlanta. I don't want to see any more, any posts about you can't find a black therapist because we're bringing them to you. So thank you so much, Jeannie, for your time today. And we will see you all on the next episode. 